You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. The first question, which, yes, I hope, I think it's one of those questions that I wish someone had helped me with when I was a bit younger is, how do we rethink dating and courtship in a biblical, God-honoring and respectful way amongst the culture that has changed the way males and females interact? Change the way males and females interact. I'm on. Um, <laughs> I always don't know how to answer this question. The dating question, I don't know, maybe Adam can chime in here. I'm like, I don't understand dating. And maybe it's because, I mean, okay, full disclosure here, I've never had a boyfriend. I've been on, like, probably in hindsight what were some dates, but they weren't like, well, you come on a date with me. I, I just didn't experience that whole dating thing. And so I'm a bit like, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how to get my head around it. And I think that's partly because of a lack of personal experience. It's also partly because it's just... Dating is this cultural construct. It's not a, it's not a biblical practice, which is not to say that it's not something that we can't do in biblical ways. But, you know, it's, dating is the result of living in a time and a space where we have agency in making decisions about who we're going to marry. And that agency requires us to think, how do I make those decisions carefully? How do I think about those decisions? Um, In the biblical times, and really for very large portions of the rest of the world today, singles don't have a lot of agency in deciding who they're going to marry. You know, and so I think what what am I trying to say? I think what I'm trying to say is there is no biblical model of dating. There is biblical model of being wise and loving and servant-hearted and careful and godly as you explore relationship options and think about marriage with people. But there's no follow these steps for Christian dating. Um, Having said that, I haven't actually listened to this. I keep meaning to, but I have such respect for the person who did it that I can just tell you go and watch it because it'll be brilliant. Um, Paul Grimmond, who's uh, the Dean of Students at Moore College, did an online... Um, webinar last year about dating. Um, Now, I did hear that in it he recommends that Not Yet Married book. Um, I'm like, okay. But there is some good stuff in that book, so I'm willing to go there. But you might, as a resource, I'd encourage you to go and check out that. Um, My answer just is, I think the question is an important one because we want to be intentional about how we approach dating because we want to love each other well we just have to realise that it's a very complex matter because there's not this clear step one, step two, step three in the Bible. It's about bringing wisdom and graciousness and kindness and love to bear on this practice, this kind of cultural practice that we engage in. Adam probably has much more wisdom to not, offer. Not really. Uh, I, by the way, I'm glad you feel that way about not yet married. I, uh, I was one of the you know, few people in my circles. I was like, I just don't... I found the dating section better. Then the singleness probably section. Probably what he's yeah. talking about. I was reading the yeah. dating, the singleness section. Going, oh gosh, I really don't like this. But then the dating section was better. So, um, so read half the book. Um, I now recommend book chapters rather than entire books. Um, 
What I would say is I think, so when I do pre-marriage prep with people, the thing that really um, makes me curious is, oh, I wish someone had this conversation with you when you, were when you started dating. And so it makes me think, gather good counsel around you early. Um, and, and you don't want to overdo it by having like pre-dating counseling. That's just ridiculous. But, but you, you do want good guides through that. You often, and in that dating process when we date, are often the worst person to judge things. Uh, because, you know, it's so unclear most of the time. And you're probably at that point, I think hopefully, really attracted to the other person. Uh, and so you, you, you pro your judgment's probably terrible. The context is really unclear. So you probably need a few godly people. Not too many. Don't, don't be one of the, you know, just... Find two godly, wise people um, who you respect... Uh, to give you wise counsel as to how you might navigate that and give them permission to speak into things into your life. If you don't know who they are, come and ask me uh, and I can point you to them. Uh, because there are wonderfully godly people. Can I say that um, because, as we said, the world has shaped the church so much, don't just go to just anyone. Because if it is the case that we have been shaped by the world that much, particularly in this respect... It is actually possible to go to people in the church who might not think about it very helpfully. So be wise and discerning in that as well. Yeah. If you don't know, come and ask. Uh, All right. The next question is a bit of a gear shift, but here's the question. How do you practically deal with natural sexual desires or other desires such as wanting children in a God-honoring way? <laughs> <laughs> He's using a ploy here. He's going to think while I'm talking and come up with a better answer. Um, how do we use... Can, sorry, just repeat the question one more time for me. Yes, how do you practically deal with natural sexual desires mm -hmm. and other desires such as wanting children <coughs> in a God-honouring way? Okay. Let's talk about the sexual desires part of it first. Um, I think it's really important for us to realise, you know, before I talked, I asked the question... Is sexuality the heart of human identity? And I you know, suggested, well, things are a bit more complex. Here is where I say sexuality is really important to who we are as humans. God has made us intentionally. He could have made us any way he wanted to. He's made us as creatures in his image and an aspect of our humanity, a key aspect of our humanity, is he's given us a sexual nature. Now, by that, I don't just mean he's given us a desire to have sex with each other. He's given us... Um, sexed bodies, uh, he's given us male and female which has similarity and difference. That difference actually matters in meaningful ways. Um, he's called us to relate to each other according to the fact that we have sexual natures. Now part of that is actually sexual intercourse, sexual intimacy. But actually that is, there's much more to being sexed creatures than just having sex. And I think this is part of our problem when we say sexuality is core to who we are. What we mean is the desire to have sex, the longing to have sexual intimacy and having that physical experience. Um, being a woman is much more than that. And being a woman means that I relate to other women in certain ways, that I relate to men in different ways. Um, and so when we think about having a sexual desires and sexual nature, we have to think much more broadly than just wanting to have sex. Um, having said that, part of our sexual nature is we have been designed with sex drives. Um, and so it's important for single Christians to not kind of pretend that's not true and to kind of go, I'm just going to 
put it, tap this down and not think about that. Because that's when we do run into problems, when we feel like we have to keep suppressing and suppressing and suppressing. What I said before, I feel very strongly about living as a single Christian means I have to work out how do I express my sexuality, how do I express my sexual desires, my sexual longings, my sexual relationships with people in a way that is an expression of who I am in Christ rather than kind of pretending it doesn't exist unless I get to get married and have sex with someone. Um, now, that is challenging in all sorts of different ways. Um, but as we've talked about this morning, God has given us his spirit in order to help us become more like Jesus in the way that we actually deal with our sexuality, whether we're single or whether we're married. You know, whether we have been married and we are no longer married and suddenly we have to live without sex again when we may have had a very active sex life with our spouse before that. Um, and so... Again, there's no sort of clear answer, this is the way to do it. Uh, it's about actually asking God to help us exercise self-control. I really loved the way that Adam was talking about self-control before because it made me think about self-control is actually about relationship. It's not just about what do I internally manage to constrain in myself. It's actually about how do I relate well to other people in my life. Um, and that's, I think, a key as we think about our own sexual desires and sexual temptations. It's not just about how do I keep a lid on this and not kind of sin. It's about how do I honour God and how do I love other people? Sexual morality is not just abhorrent in God's sight. It's actually unloving to the people that we're committing it with. We're not loving each other well let alone honouring God ourselves. And so I think having that broader view of this is about relationship rather than just my inner feelings is really important. I'll stop talking. We can come back to the child thing in a, in a moment. Adam might want to add stuff. I'm supposed to be using the time to think about a profound answer, right? Um, let me sidestep it. Uh, <laughs> it's similar to what you were saying, just riffing off one the early part of it. Often when people say, how do I deal with sexual desire... Sometimes it's not, as Danny said, the act of sex or even necessarily sexual, but it's about intimacy. It's about being known. It's about being loved. It's funny. I, I often... It's not funny. It's terrible. But, you know, I, I, when, when I talk with people about um, pornography, for example, you can have covenant eyes and all of that and stuff, which is wonderful and good. But actually you realise that if you do have deep friendships where you can be open, honest and intimate and care for one another, that is actually a remarkably powerful thing. That actually means that when you get home, you kind of don't desire that as much. Because actually we mistake our desire for intimacy with a desire for sex. And they're not, they're, they're, they're related, but they're not necessarily, one is not synonymous with the other. And I think what that means is that in here, I talk about church as a plausibility structure, but church also becomes a context where we can find, not with every single person at church, but where we can find friendships and we can find intimacy and in a way that's right and, and godly. So I think just be careful not to assume that the answer to that, the, the answer to your longing is to have sex. Often the answer to our longing is to be known and, and to be loved. And you know, we all know that because we hear stories or have personal experience or a range of things. We hear about people who do have sex and are sexually intimate without actual genuine intimacy, and it's worse. 
because they feel used. And, and I think that's, that, that tells you that actually this is about something far deeper than, than just what is physically the reality. I think the only other thing is, I was reflecting on this comment that my friend made who's unmarried, he's in his late 50s now, mid-50s, um, and this is kind of one of those very sad stories, but he said he was a um, curate at a church, Anglican assistant minister at a church, uh, and he was staying at home with his parents first and then he moved out and he was living by himself, oh, with two housemates, and then they got married off and then it was just him. And he was doing a house visitation one year and this elderly lady just took his hand and said, thank you. And he just started crying. And you wonder why. And he goes, it was appropriate physical intimacy. And this sounds weird, right? But he says, I ha- no one had expressed affection to me physically for two years. No, no one touched him, no one hugged him, no one gave a pat on the shoulder. It just, you know, it's, this is not about physical sex. This is just actually about appropriate physical affection. And I think what gets in the way of our church relationships is that we have a very one-dimensional, reduced, anemic view of relationship and care. Oh, I'll take you out for coffee. All right, that must be fine. But actually, we need to think broadly about how do we love someone and care for them in appropriate ways? So I was having this conversation with someone in the car yesterday. We were talking about, oh, you know, the love languages thing. You can pinata that later. But... um, but there is a sense in which, like, the worst thing is we've used that as Myers-Briggs or Enneagram and it just becomes voodoo, right? There's like Christian, Christian, you know, like just, it's just Christian horoscopes at that point. But like, you, you, you don't want to get to the point where you're like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a quality time person, so I'm not going to say anything. Or I'm a words person, so get away from me. Like actually, being embodied and being human means that all five actually matter. Well, however many you want, right? Like, Find more. We need to think about how to love one another as embodied persons. That's a good thing. So think about actually how to relate to one another here in a, in a breadth of ways, appropriately and biblically. Um, I'll say one thing and then I'll talk about the, the child thing. Um, uh, on the 4th of May, I'm um, doing an online webinar with the Centre for Christian Living in Sydney, but you can obviously it's on, online so you can tune in that Marshall Ballantyne Jones, who has done his research in pornography, and, I, and it's on lust. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say yet. So you can tune in and find out. But this kind of... I mention it because this will pick up on a whole lot of things that we've just been talking about, um, thinking about desire, lust, how those two are not necessarily the same thing, um, how desire is not always necessarily sinful, can actually be really good um, for singles. So... That's just something. Um, let me just make a comment on the um, the grief of not having children by saying um, that is a really significant and important thing to work through for singles, um, whether you're male or female. Um, I had always anticipated that I would have kids. Even if I got married tomorrow now, I think having biological, natural children is probably, I've, for a few years I've realised it probably wouldn't be. I mean, who knows? God might perform miracles, but it's unlikely to be the case. Um, and I, per- and this is just a personal word of testimony, I am able to process that now as I'm in my still early 40s as a single person because I've been processing it for a number of years. It wasn't like I hit 40 and suddenly went, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have children and fall into a heap. Um, So I want to encourage you 
who are single, but also who are married if you haven't had children yet, to be working through this too, because you know infertility is a, a very real thing that a lot of married couples deal with. We actually have to be thoughtful in thinking through how do we think about children, the place of children in our lives. The world around us has commodified children in ways that are just, it's appalling. You know, we use children as those things that bring fulfilment to our lives. Um, and we as Christians need to think very carefully and biblically and theologically about the purpose and place and gift of children. But of course, there is a right grief that comes with not having children because children are a good gift from God. Um, and they are not just a good gift that make us enjoy life and bring us delight, but they are part of the way that God has actually works in this world and works to um, bring more Christians into this world. Um, and so it is right to work through the grief of not having children. Um, one thing I will say is that I think we need to think very carefully about the fact that um, Scripture uses uh, all sorts of language that points to spiritual parenthood being essential as Christians. You know, Paul talks about himself as being like a nursing mother caring for his little children as he disciples them. Um, he talks about himself being a father in other ways. Uh, and that's not, we shouldn't just trivialise that and go, oh, well, you, you're like a mother. No, no, no. Spiritual parenthood, the way that God is actually making disciples in this world through Jesus is not by being born into the right family who happen to belong to this bloodline. It's actually through spiritual rebirth. It's through making disciples. And that means that actually children in our church family are all of our children. We are called to disciple each other's children. There's a really good book worth um, reading called uh, Families at the Crossroads by Rodney Clapp. Um, if you want to follow on, that would be a good place to go. It's interesting you say that because in Titus, what does Paul say? To Titus, my true son in the common faith, not my fake son, my son in Christ, which we know in Christ just really means not really, right? Uh, <laughs> hello, brother in Christ, whoever you are. Uh, like, but he's like, my true, my legitimate son. So he actually amps it up. Um, uh, one thing that's interesting, I actually think the way we think about this question of marriage and singleness will set the trajectory for how we deal with children. But you realise that in our minds, it comes as a package deal. We, we, I have an idealised vision of what the life we want is, and, and often they go together. And so if we approach singleness and marriage in unhelpful, worldly ways, we'll probably do the same thing when it comes to, to children, I think. Now, interesting, um, some other time we'll have a chat about this, but I'm like, how do you do Mother's Day? You know, right? Like, in my old church that I grew up in, it would be, all the mothers, please stand up right now. And the kids will come and give you something. I heard about a church, uh, I was on the pastor's heart the other day, but um, where someone went to church and the person at the door gave them something, goes, oh, wait, no, you're, don't, you're not a mother, and they take it back. You, yeah, I think, so I think, yeah. Yeah, well, I, yeah, there was a good episode on. Um, if you Google the pastor's heart, it's a podcast um, and video podcast as well by Dominic Steele. He had one a couple of days ago on how to do Mother's Day well in church. Um, so it's worth watching that. Um, but yes, I actually feel like I don't know about down here, but certainly in Sydney, I feel like we're getting much better at that. I, that would I would not see that coming in a, a church that I'm aware of. But um, but yes, Mother's Day and Father's Day are ways for us to celebrate. Um, spiritual parenthood as much as, you know, we want to honour biological mums and biological fathers as well. Um, we don't want to trivialise that. Um, but yes, I think what I, 
you know, the nutshell is keep thinking and praying carefully about the place of children in your lives um, now and in the future uh, so that you're well prepared to uh, deal with relationally anything that lies in that direction. So. The next question is one that has quickly risen to the top. So here's the question. I feel like I've been losing friends to marriage. How do I navigate these relationships which inevitably change, which will inevitably change, but feel like they're ending? Will be like what, sorry? But feel like they're ending. As hard as it is, talk to your married friends early. Don't, don't, don't make demands that's just ungodly and unhelpful. But let them know how you're feeling. That is remarkably humbling. Like, it's brutally humbling. Um, it's worth it. Um, the hardest thing about that is when you tell your friend that, there is nothing in your own power to change your circumstance. Your fate as such, friendship-wise, largely depends on how your married friend will choose to go about it. But don't be so unfair on them as to expect them to read your mind. You need to let them know. This will sound silly, but I'm actually kind of scared about this. And then you've got to trust them. You've got to trust that they'll do what's right. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Um, let's say something else. Can I yeah, follow please. that on what yeah. you're thinking? Um, I completely agree. But then afterwards, don't expect them to read your mind if you are feeling like that, if you're feeling disappointed or let down. Don't become embittered. Mm. Don't expect them to have recognised uh, how they may have disappointed you. Again, you've got to navigate not wanting to place burdens and expectations. You know, don't turn away around the week after they've come back from their honeymoon. Well, how come you haven't invited me over yet? That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, if, you, if you've had that conversation, I want to really encourage you to have that conversation. It makes you incredibly vulnerable. I get, I get that. I've been there. I'm still there. Um, but, yeah, you can't expect them to read your mind. And you can't expect them to know how you're feeling if you're not willing to communicate it. The flip side of that is married people, please don't, please invite your single friends to have that conversation with you. Please initiate that conversation and keep initiating that conversation um, through the course of your relationship. Um, there is a temptation, I was saying this to a couple of um, women last night here, uh, there is, I don't know if this is true of single men, you can, you can, Wayne on this, uh, a lot of single women, certainly myself and other single women I know, feel the need to make ourselves as small as possible in the lives of other people, to not be a burden or an inconvenience on people. Even people we know and love, we kind of feel like I've, just, I've got to somehow just make myself small enough that there's a space for me in their life. Um, and that can be really hard. And so having our married friends say, 
not saying please, not having to have the onus of responsibility to say, can I have space here? But actually having our married friends say, look at all this space. We want you to fill it. Um, is I can't tell you how hugely significant that is for particularly single women. I don't know if you would say the same single men. Um, yeah, I think it is very similar. Um, I like to think that you guys are much more godly than we are. Um, <laughs> pride is a really big thing for us in... I don't want to appear weak. I don't want to seem needy. So I promised a friend, I said... Um, because I know I feel that. So I promised a friend, I said, if you ask, I, will say, I have to say yes, if my diary allows. Because my temptation will be I'll say no. Because, and I'll say it no because of all my internal struggles, I won't want to put that on them. But if I bind myself... You can't do this to everyone. But, but like, I, I need to actually have that discipline for myself to actually say, I need to say... Like, you're just being actually quite unloving at that point as a single person. It's like, why won't people love me? You want to come in for dinner? No. You know, like, <laughs> actually, they just ask you. So receive it with love. And, and yeah, receive that. I'd say one thing that I have only realised recently is... Um, one friend told me, he said, when his friend got married... Uh, his friends with the guy, and the wife said, and this is why I found this quite remarkable, the wife said to my friend, um, by the way, I know we're getting married, but I don't want to, you, you guys should still hang out, that's all good, but do you mind if I join in from time to time? And that was actually really good expectation setting, because I've got some friendships where I just never see the spouse, like ever, and then I feel like charity. You know, it's sort of like, oh, well, that's that person's time without him, but here's the whole part of their life that you never see. And so that, that's, to have a kind of, na- just make, be normal. <laughs> I've, got, um, I've got a group of girlfriends. We went through college together. Um, we were all single at college. We are, there's five of us. We are all still single except for one. Lisa got married about five years ago. Uh, we are frequently, individually, but particularly as a group, invited to their place um, for dinner. She always cooks us dinner. Her husband, Gav... It's not like he comes to the door, says hi, and then disappears into his office or the garage or something. He sits with us nearly all night. It's five of us women and Gav sitting there. And it's so delightful because he's in our girl gang now. Like, he, <laughs> he's actually one of our friends. He's not just my friend's husband. He's my friend. Um, and so... And I think that's one more thing I, I do want to say on this. Married, married people and people, if you get married, singles, if you get married... You need more than your spouse. Please, can we please ditch this whole my spouse is my very best friend thing. Your spouse ought to be your friend and ought to be a very close friend. But the idea of best friend is like this idea of once I've got this friend, I've reached the ideal, the pinnacle of friendship. I've reached kind of the superlative friend and I don't need the less than ideals. Actually, that's not friendship. Friendship is actually about this ever ever-inclusive nature of more and more relationships in our lives. It's that collage that I showed you before. So if you're married, cultivate friendship with your spouse, but don't look at your spouse as the one relationship that you need and everything else becomes peripheral because that's not going to serve them well and it's not going to serve your marriage well and it's not going to serve all your other friends well. Well, I have two more questions. The first one is, should married people dial down their affections to their spouses at church to care for singles who might be struggling in their singleness? Or is it wise for them to do that? Yeah. Should they dial down their affections towards their spouse? Depends on what level it is. What do you guys like, do uh, in church? 
I, I feel like he needs to answer this one. There's so many directions I could go with this. Um, on the one hand, be considerate. But that's not just for your single brother, that's for everyone here. I mean, no one wants to see that. So, like, uh, so I just, uh, I think if it's at that level, like, just, you know, take it somewhere else. But um, let, me, let me go with the tenor of that. Let me go with the grain of that question. Um, it sounds like the grain of that question is to actually say, uh, I, I don't want to presume, but it, but it sounds like there could be a suggestion that um, we, we need we need to dial it down a lot in order to not be unhelpful. I say a few things to that. Firstly, um, you don't need to dial it down so much that people don't know you're married, right? That's that's weird, right? Like that's like like oh what you have a wife? Uh, like <laughs> like no that happened. I have a friend who was very conscious about not making their marriage difficult to other people, however defined. And then you know one of his one of his uh, friends who he knew at college was like. Um, Oh, like this is three years three years after being friends. I didn't know you were married. It's like, oh, that's really. It actually, you realize in that moment, it's not actually loving them. It's actually <laughs> you're, you're keeping from them from a core part of your life. So, so you should not do it so much that um, it would be um, it would not seem that you're married at all. Also, um, make sure that the attitude behind that is. Um, not one where you pridefully assume that everyone wants your life. You know, like, not everyone wants to be like you. <laughs> uh, um, and, and I think you just want to watch that. Um, so it's like, if, if it's sort of like, oh, you know, if me and my non-existent girlfriend walked in here, poor people, they'll look at me and go, I wish I could be like him. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, not really. You know, uh, there's many parts of my life that no one would want, really. Uh, and, and so I, I think you don't want to presume yourself too highly on that level as well. But, I mean, just be kind. I, it's, I find this really odd to know what to say sometimes, but in my mind it's just be normal. Uh, yeah, just, be, yeah, yeah, just like, be normal, I think. And, yeah. um, you know, if there is a particular friend you know who is really struggling, you know, then respond in relationship in that way. Um, and we, you know, Adam was just talking about how physical touch is actually a way for us to demonstrate love appropriately to each other. It's right for married people to, you know, I don't know what it is, arm around the chair, holding hand, whatever, you know, hand on the, whatever it is. Side hug, I, side hug I, only. I, yeah, oh, my God. Right. I can't, I can't, honestly, I cannot remember, and maybe I've, I don't know. I can't remember a time when I've sat in church or after church and gone, oh, my gosh, all these married people all over each other. Like, it just, <laughs> it's not something that is ever registered for me, but maybe I'm a bit blind to it. I'm not sure. Um, I do want to say this is a bit related. Um, particularly, I mean, I know that a lot of you are, are still not, or not still unmarried, that you are not married and may not ever be, but some will. Um, I, I want to challenge the idea that, you know, churches you always have to sit with your spouse in church um i think it's it's not wrong to it's good to but if when we come together we're actually one primary family with each other um it can be very alienating for single people to walk into a church um I, well, let me rewind my old church, pre-COVID, when we could meet in this building, we had chairs not dissimilar, where chairs were set out like this. And it was very easy just to go and plonk yourself down in a chair and you've got all sorts of people around you. I'm now, my church now has pews. I 
I'm almost always sitting by myself in a pew. Um, and I find it really difficult. Uh, sometimes someone will come and sit at the other end of the pew, but normally families are sitting and they're taking up a whole pew. Um, and, you know, we had to socially distance until reasonably recently. And I think that's kind of also just mentally changed the way Because in, in COVID, a household didn't have to physically distance. No. But, like, this is the household. Yeah. Right? I, so, like... I spent the first six months of last year when we were in Sydney back in church. Most Sundays I was crying quietly at points in the church service because I've never felt so lonely. And I'm someone who's pretty robust in my singleness. I was really struggling. And, you know, there was a whole lot of other covid pandemic, the world's coming to an end stuff going on. But just sitting by yourself or feeling like, can you move over so I can sit here? Um, particularly as your church changes in the years to come, you end up with more families, you end up with more kids, whatever that looks like. Keep thinking, how do we even just physically in the way we sit with one another demonstrate the fact that we are family together rather than individual households who happen to be gathering in this place at this time. One, one thought um, on this that I've realised, and a word to both marriages and singles on this, one of the areas where I see um, healthy relationships between... Un, or the, the relationship between marriages and singles get quite difficult is... Um, there's a fault on, both, fault on both sides as such, right? Um, what will often happen is um, a single person will be discontent with their singleness and, and won't like talking about it or will love talking about it, um, one of the two. Um, and the married friend will feel like, I don't want to be unhelpful to the single person, so I will never talk about my marriage with them. But then the single person finds it really weird because they're like, well, you're married. And I would love to be able to listen to that and speak into that. But then when the married person does talk about it, then the single person gets salty and upset. And so, so a word to both in that very complicated situation. That happens a lot. Um, a word to the married couples. Please don't think that the only people who can help you with your marriage are other married couples. A lot of the things in marriage you've got to work through are just human things. Conflict resolution, communication. And people are like, oh, but what about, you know, the, the sexual part of it? And I'm like... You're not doing it every, like ha, like it's not that it shouldn't be that much. Like, that shouldn't be the only thing in a marriage, right? Like, um, so there's so much more to it. So do not presume that someone who's not married can't help you. But also in in opening that and and speaking of that to your single friends, you're you're inviting them into something. You're helping them see something. And that's in incredibly important because your marriages are meant to help me look to heaven. Your marriage is a picture of what's awaiting us as the church who's marrying Christ. So your marriage isn't siloed off over here. It's actually meant to be a prophetic witness to me, which means your marriage matters to me. You need to help me. You need to use your marriage to help me see Jesus. Which is why I love weddings, and despite the fact we could only do like five-person weddings, you know, in the last two years, the thing I like about weddings is you have witnesses. You remember that this is not a private thing. This is a public thing. This is a church thing. This is a for us all thing. While I'm on my roll of things that frustrate me, marriages where the couple take communion and it's just them. It's odd because that's something for us all. So I went to a wedding and the couple was just taking, and it's just them two taking communion. I'm like, right here, like would love some of that right now. Because it's like, that's, it's actually a church thing. It's not a marriage thing. You, you, at that point, you've collapsed 
the, the church into your marriage. The words of the single people, when your married friend actually tells you, this is how my marriage is going, of course you'll probably feel some sort of, I hope not bitterness, but sadness maybe. That, that, that's very natural to feel. But receive that well. Your, your married friend is seeking to love you by opening that up to you. Receive it well. Treat it as a wonderful blessing and a gift that you can serve them in. Don't be bitter about it. Uh, they're doing, and that, that's an act of love towards you. And, and take that well and receive it well and love them well in that.